We're finishing 2 Peter today, living on earth with a divine nature. The last two verses of chapter 3. The title is, Do Not Lose Your Own Stability. Do not lose your own stability. You'll see where I get that phrase. 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18. Tonight we'll be in uh, Romans. 2 Peter 3, 17. You therefore, beloved, so he's speaking to the churches, Christian people, knowing this beforehand, so I want to talk about what that is, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and and lose your own stability. There's the title. But grow. There's the verb. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. That's an interesting phrase, eh? Not just to eternity, the, the day of eternity. And he's thinking about the, the coming of Christ and the ushering in of that kingdom. Amen. Let's pray. It would be, we've all had a week where our hearts and lives have been immersed in this world and so many things in this world, the ordinary cares of life and other pursuits that Jesus, you said, would, would choke out the fruitfulness of, of your implanted word in our lives. So it, it would really take a miracle of your grace just for us to break even this morning. It would take a miracle of your grace just to not lose ground spiritually for all of us. Your word is what you use to set people free. Jesus, you said that. They shall know the truth, and the truth will make them free. And so I pray that uh, you'd help us to experience not only understanding your word, but fruitfulness from your word as it works in our lives, undoing all that has been lost through the love of the world and the things of the world. We need you to back up the things of the world in our lives and to extend your kingdom in our lives. Use this service to do that. Use your word to do it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do not lose your own stability. You see it in verse 17. It just seems like Peter has this particular passion in his heart as he pens those words. Think about it. Peter. Peter is writing. Do not lose your own stability. And if there's ever someone who knew what those words meant, it would be Peter. As Jesus faced the cross, he labored to brace his disciples 
against panic, against fear, against anxiety. Jesus had warned them over and over again of his coming death, his crucifixion, and then he he even backed it up with promises of resurrection and his return and future glory. And Peter knew. Peter, Peter spent three years with Jesus. He heard everything Jesus said. He knew the promise of our Lord's resurrection and future glory. He repeatedly professed his loyalty and he meant it. He repeatedly confessed his commitment to Jesus. Lord, everybody else might leave you, not I. Oh, never, Jesus. Never. Never. And yet under the pressure of the moment, Peter lost his stability. He cursed Jesus. He denied ever knowing Jesus. And Peter fell from steadfastness. Our text uses those words. He fell from steadfastness with a, with a crash that has just sounded throughout history. And so Peter wraps up this letter. He's going to die soon. He's an old man. And he wraps up this letter with a plea that's particularly close to his heart. He saw what happened in his own life. And, and he wants to give words to these Christians. He wants to give some words that will hold them up. That will brace them against false religion. Against trial. He wants to, he wants to say something that will that will keep them steadfast until the day of the Lord. So, that's Peter's goal here. He doesn't want to carelessly imagine my present level of faithfulness, your present love for Jesus. Peter doesn't want any of us in this room imagining that that's automatically sustainable. It's not automatically sustainable. Think of a face right now. Picture a person you have known, maybe in this church, maybe in another church. Put a face in front of you right now. Someone you have known who was once far more dedicated to the lordship of Jesus than they are right now. Can you think of somebody? And no one ever dreamed that he or she would, would drift so far from Christ. And then the really important question. Is it impossible that that could be you one day? And you say, no. How do you know? Because I, well, because I really, I really love Jesus, Pastor Don. But so did, you see the face? I can think of people that, that were in this church, that, that ministered on the platform, that had ministry roles in the church, and they don't even darken the door of a church now. What happened? How did it happen? 
That's the issue of our final text from 2 Peter. It's interesting. It's interesting to note how the remarks of these two closing verses, 17 and 18, they, in a way they kind of capsulize and restate what Peter's been saying in, in the whole letter. I mean, verse 17 kind of restates the, the warnings about false teaching and corrupt examples that were the theme of chapter 2. And then verse 18, it picks up the theme of chapter 1 with this exhortation of growing in faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let's look at each of those themes. Point number one. Failure in the Christian life comes more commonly from a lack of carefulness than a lack of ability. Jesus will give he will give strength to the weak. He will give forgiveness to the guilty. We sang about that. But he will never give diligence to the careless. We have ways of fooling ourselves here. It's the terms we use. We usually cite weakness as the cause of all of our sins. And so we cleverly shift the blame away from ourselves to some kind of lack of help from above. And Peter won't let any kind of scheming like that happen in the choosing of our words. He, he, he forces us to use the right terms right out of the gate. You see it in that 17th verse. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand... Here's the problem. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Knowing, knowing this beforehand. Knowing what? What's he talking about? Knowing this beforehand. Well, he tells us, it was in verse 16, right before... He says, there are some things in the writings that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable, notice the same word in 16 as in 17, unstable, lose your stability. The, the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. And the kind of twisting that he's talking about isn't just, you know, uh, arguing about when the rapture takes place. He's talking about a twisting that leads to lawlessness. You can, you can see that right there. The error of lawless people. So people, people, the claim is, Peter says, people will twist the scriptures to their own destruction. They will, they will minimize the cutting voice of the word that would call them to repentance and bring them to carefulness and diligence. He says they, they turn grace into this kind of like a passport for future resistance to the word of God. Peter says, knowing this beforehand, this is what people will do increasingly. They, they, they take the Bible, the same one you read, and they pull certain things out of it that make it look like God doesn't care that much. They twist. And it takes away diligence. And so Peter's trying, it's like a computer, and, and Peter's trying to install software 
into our brains. He's trying to, he's trying to put into these readers, as he writes these words, he's trying to put something into their minds that, that the culture around us constantly tries to take out and delete. He's trying to keep people alert to some contaminants, to strong and stable faith. The way I prayed at this message, I thought about that. I think about what I'm going to pray about before I preach. It it isn't just something that comes to me automatically. I usually pace around out there and I think, what what is it that I want to pray? I prayed how, you know, we need a miracle of God's grace in our lives just to break even after a week in the culture that we live in. Just to kind of bring us back to where we were. Because that's what Peter's saying. The culture you inhabit daily, daily, is, is obsessed with an effort to make all ideas have equal weight and equal value. And our world is orchestrated, more than it knows, by the spirit of the age to lower your carefulness and your diligence. The way you screen things with your mind. That's the primary area where Christ and culture always collide. And Peter says, he says, having been warned about the nature of the battle, we will, we will face increased guilt and punishment for our carelessness in this matter. So that's what he says in 17. Take care, knowing this beforehand. I'm telling you what's going to happen. Knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the thinking of lawless people. And there's a point that kind of follows logically from this this caution. Point number two. Rather than being weakened and discouraged by the wickedness of others, I should consider my own potential to the very same sins and discipline my life in more carefulness. I know we've already looked at this verse, but it's repeated here. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are, that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Lawless people, carried away by lawless people. And lose your stability. So, so obviously what he's saying, lawless people, you carried away by lawless people losing your stability. What he's saying is there's a social aspect to holiness. It's, it's the other people that you're with. You pick those. Other people, this is so relevant to the age in which we live. Other people can make the same sins that sound gross on paper look liberating and life-giving in an attractive person or a glamorous situation. So, So whatever sin or temptation or failure I see in others, there's a friend to those same sins in my own heart if I if I don't keep it in check. That's why Paul says, Galatians 6, 1, 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, we like to think this is us, right? Should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. There. And, but he doesn't, he doesn't end it there. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you're spiritual, but you too, you spiritual person, keep watch on yourself, lest, lest you too be, be tempted. But, but why am I more vulnerable to those same sins just at the point of contact with the person I'm trying to help? Why then? What is it about my proximity to this, this person who's caught? I don't think it means caught by, you know, a couple elders saw him doing this. We caught him. I don't think it means caught in the act. I think it means caught like a rabbit gets caught in a trap. Okay? Here's a person that's caught in this sin. And I'm a spiritual person and I, and I want to go and help him. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing. And so I go and I try and help him. And Paul says, now wait. Because right at that moment, you weren't tempted to that sin over here. You were fine. You're a spiritual person. But once you get close to this person in his sin, Paul says, now, now you need to be really careful that you don't, you don't get caught in the same sin. And my question is, what changed? And we all know the answer. What changed is, now I'm, now I'm close. I'm right there. And, and I'll hear his words. He may justify what he's been doing. He may explain it to me. And it sounds rational. And the church was judgmental. You know that church full of hypocrites pointing fingers at people. All, that's, that's what she's going to hear. And so when I get close to helping a brother caught in sin... Any number of emotions can weaken my commitment to Jesus. Let me just give you some of them. Sympathy. Poor guy. <laughs> Deserves a break. False confidence in my own maturity. I, I would never trip up in that respect. Don't worry. Even false compassion. Let's just let this go. Everybody does this. Come on, group hug. All of those things. Paul says, when you get close to this one you're trying to help, all of those emotions can weaken your own commitment to Christ. Watch for that, he says. Do help your brother or your sister in need, but watch for it because your own resolve lowers automatically. And that's why the person Paul describes as spiritual, that's the person who's fully aware of his own potential to the same sin that he sees in others. The, the spiritual person is only going to stay spiritual by his own alertness to the dangers around him and the dangers within him. Okay, Pastor Don, like, we get it. Holiness is important. Why, why are you drilling down into this so much? 
I'll tell you why. I'm like you. You're like me. Most of us live in homes where we have taken more pains to ensure that the smoke detector goes off in the event of a fire than we do in setting up alarms that will sound when things impure and immoral are entertained in our homes. Think about it. What, what, what would happen? What would happen if an alarm, an actual, real alarm that you could hear, what if it just, what if something just went, deet, 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 and it did it, it did it every time you're watching something on TV and something comes on that's contrary to what God would want for your life. Or book, or movie, internet, blogging. That lack of carefulness is, is the problem with the mindset of many, many contemporary Christians. And that's what Peter's writing about in his last words to the church. Don't lose your stability. He's not the only one, by the way, that emphasized this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So your heart, your heart, your heart needs more protecting than your BMW or your Audi or your Mercedes. It needs far more protection. Because there's more than just a temporal loss at stake. You, you can lose your soul through carelessness. And Jesus said, if you, if you lose your soul, what, what are you going to do to get it back? He said that, by the way, in Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Don't make that a figure of speech. Think of it literally. Gains the world. You found out. You found out. You own Amazon, Facebook, Apple. They're yours. They are yours. What, what do you gain if you have all of that, but, but in the process, you, you, lose, you lose your soul, your relationship with Christ? And, and then, and then w- what's your plan for getting it back? What shall a man give in return for his life? You can't take everything indiscriminately into your mind and keep your spiritual stability. Point number three. The only sure way to enter the kingdom is to pursue constant growth in grace until Jesus comes again. I get that in verse 18. But grow. That's the verb. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Peter's saying something pretty profound here. This is the reason such carefulness and diligence is 
urgent and urged and required. A lazy Christian will be a doomed Christian. And here, here, here's why. You and I, as followers of Jesus, we can never just successfully maintain our Christian life. It, it really can't be done. Our only option is to grow in spiritual life if we want to enter the kingdom. You, you grow into God's kingdom or you don't enter it. And I think the problem is we're so accustomed to looking at the receiving of grace as, a, as like a one-time event. We received God's grace when we were saved. He just gave it. Like a box. He, he handed it to me. I took it and I got grace from Jesus. And now we just have it. We have grace. Whereas Peter sees the reception of grace as something different. He sees it as something that ongoingly flows and increases. And if you think about it, it's kind of like what Jesus said about a branch and a vine. The way the life has to just keep flowing and flowing increasingly. And as the tree grows, more life. It's just like sowing and reaping. Planting of a seed. It's not the completion of the growth process. How how much food would, would our farmers produce if the seeds they planted... Never advance beyond what was put into the ground. You put a seed into the ground, you go out in the fall and take the seed out. There, you got it. That's what Peter is saying in these closing verses. Don't don't fall away from, from steadfastness in Jesus. You have to grow. Let me show you where Jesus talked about this. It's not in your, I just did this this morning, so they don't have a slide, and you'll have to look it up. That's old school. Get your Bible. John 15, 1 and 2. So the, the, the theme here is the ongoing growth. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in it. Keep growing in it. Don't stop growing in it. That's the subject. So how does that happen? Jesus addresses that now in John 15, 1 and 2. You got it? I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit... He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So so Jesus is laboring to remind self-loving people like me that consumption, consumption doesn't produce spiritual life. Pruning produces spiritual life. Jesus said the same thing again, if you want to see it, in Mark 24. Sorry, Mark 4, 23 to 25. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The he here is Jesus. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you 
and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That almost makes no sense. If he has not, then how can you say he has? The one who has not, even what he has. And the idea there is if this isn't growing, then what he had was never real. It has to grow. It has to grow. But I want you to notice the difference. Let me just clean this up for a sec. I want you to notice the difference between these two words, has and more. You see that in the 25th verse? Has is the present amount, right? More is the potential future amount. So has, that's present. The spiritual life that I have right now. The spiritual life that you have right now. Sitting right now at, I won't tell you, 1055. We're doing fine. So there's a walk with Jesus, and it's the one you have. And that's good. As long as that the has is turning into more. More is the potential future amount. Has is the present More is the direction. And so Jesus says he constantly comes to a life like mine and a life like yours, and and he prunes. He prunes the amount of time, the amount of energy, the amount of money that I put into my own self. He wants that cut back so that there is more time and more energy for the production of spiritual fruit in my life. Now, am I misreading that, or do you think that's what the text says? You you don't want to admit that, do you? He prunes it. That's what he does. He, He tries to make it so there'll be more time for Christ. How will he do that? Well, he will take he will take time away from other things, legitimate things. But they have to be pruned if there's going to be more. That's the only process there is for spiritual growth. There is no other process. If it's going to move from has, present, to more, future, the only root there is pruning. It'll mean for some people, you know what, you're just going to have to make a decision that you're going to go to church every Sunday instead of using that time for something else. Jesus wants to prune that back so that you can come together with God's people. Because that's the only way you can move from what you have to the more that he wants to give. see the very same emphasis. You don't have this text either. I put it in this morning. Bibles again. You can see the very same emphasis in Paul in Philippians 3, 13 to 16. Philippians 3, 13 to 16. Tell me if you think these are growth words or resting words. I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, not 15, one, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is not just something for apostles. Put that thought out of your head. 
How do you know? Look what he says next. Let those of us who are mature think this way. I'm talking to you, Paul says. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold on to what we have attained. So you see the difference? What we have attained, that's present. Pressing on, that's future. Notice the difference between holding on to what we have attained, 16, and pressing on toward the goal, 14. The, the goal is always beyond what you have presently attained. That's, that's the only way to move ahead. Let me jump ahead to point number four. Point number four. Grace won't expand in your heart without the knowledge of God growing in your mind. I get that in verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the verb. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Sooner or later, I've said this before, we all have to make the discovery that the school of discipleship isn't Sesame Street. You know, and God is not Big Bird. Learning isn't always fun. It takes diligence and it takes hard work. Don't lose your stability, Peter says. Jesus never came to help you relax. He did come to give you joy, peace with God. He never came just so you would say, serenity now, serenity now. He came to train us as servants. He came to prune our lives of all that would take away and distract from pressing on toward the goal of Christ. And the first part of your life that he wants to dominate is your mind. It's a recap for Peter, really. He already said the same thing in, in verse 2 of, of uh, chapter 1. May the grace and peace be multiplied. See, same idea. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So grace and peace, they're obviously tremendously important. Peter's constantly talking about them, but, but how are they multiplied? Well, Peter says it has to do with knowledge, specifically knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep your attention on Jesus and his saving work. Train and use your mind as an instrument of the Spirit. Not just with worship courses, not just with sentiment. You, you need to, the knowledge, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Let me, let, me, let me go at it this way. You need to know everything Jesus said. When did he say it? To whom was he speaking? How did he pray? When did he fast? When did he talk about his second coming? What did he say about it? What did he say about healing? What did he say about the Holy Spirit? How did he say he wanted to make his presence real and powerful in my heart? See, that's 
knowledge of our Lord and Savior. That's what Peter's talking about. Not just liking Jesus. His truth, why does that matter? Because, because his truth must be learned before his person can be properly loved. His truth must be carved into my mind before I can obey it. So above all else, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Last point, five. As long as you have breath, glorify Jesus above all else. It's in that 18th verse, the last thing Peter says. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There's such, there's such practical wisdom here. Y you notice how Peter balances knowledge with affections. Glorify him. So he has the wisdom to put knowledge first. It's a terribly frustrating experience that many Christians never figure out where they try to make themselves love Jesus just through worship. I'll say it again. The terrible mistake many Christians make of trying to love Jesus just through worship. It will never work. You can't love Jesus through worship when you don't know him with your mind. And you will soon find yourself feeling empty and hypocritical. You have to start from the ground up. You must know before you can properly love and obey with your heart. But the knowledge isn't an end in itself. Jesus is looking for people who know him and who glorify him. So, so when you truly know Jesus, never be intimidated out of passionately expressing praise and worship. Just because someone else might think, oh, it's those crazy charismatics. There's such a bias against open praise and worship. When the Bible is full of it, Jesus delights in it, and whole denominations try and squish it. That's true. You don't have to tell me. There are Loads of empty-headed fanatics. I get it. There are mindless trancers who just follow the crowd in whatever they're told to do. But while both those examples are displeasing to the Lord, they are no more displeasing to Him than those who know the truth inside out. Yet, Refuse obedient passion and praise and worship and the glorifying of Jesus. Well, Pastor Don, glorifying Jesus means glorifying him with your life. And that's true. No argument from me. My point is praise ought to be a part of your life. If it isn't, why isn't it? It's commanded. It's clearly commanded in the scriptures. There's no denying the biblical base. 
I'm not arguing that the rest of my life shouldn't glorify God. I'm only saying that glorifying Him with praise and worship doesn't exclude glorifying Him with the rest of my life. I want all of my life to glorify Him, including my praise and worship. Refuse to allow false arguments to set themselves up on either side of the issue. Know God deeply, thoroughly. Know Christ the Lord thoroughly, deeply, with your mind. And let glory reign both now and forevermore. Because when your mind is brimming with Christ-centered truth, your heart starts overflowing with burning, unashamed love for the Lord. And here's what happens. You're going to end up steadfast, immovable, always abounding in your work for the Lord. And everybody said, 